You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 162, featuring special guest Lee Holman, owner and operator of Holman Moody. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, Darren speaks with Lee Holman, owner and operator of Holman Moody fame. As their marketing tagline says, Holman and Moody is often considered the best-known name in racing. In this interview, Lee shares captivating stories from the mid-60s when he was at Le Mans with top Ford executives and racing greatest legends. Listen in as Lee speaks proudly of names like Onser, Foyt, Andretti, and tracks like Watkins Glen and Daytona, amongst others. It's time to head to Charlotte, North Carolina to talk about the business of auto racing with Lee Holman. So, let's get revved up! Hello and welcome back here to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. Thank you for your patience. I know with us going to the monthly format here for the, the short-term foreseeable future, uh, it's you're not getting the episodes like you once did, but thank you very much for being patient, understanding, sticking with us. As always, it's so good to have you back with us on this latest audio road trip. Remember, this is your podcast. Together, it's all about car community, car culture. Today, I'm excited for you to hear great stories and background information from Lee Holman. As you likely know, Holman Moody uh, is an American race car manufacturer. They've dabbled in the marine engine manufacturing and had a former auto racing team. Uh, And though they're not involved in racing currently, Holman Moody is owned and operated by Lee, who is the son of co-founder John Holman. As you may know, the Holman Moody race team back in the day built virtually all of the factory Ford racing vehicles throughout the uh, various decades, the 50s, the 60s, and 70s. And they've had uh, and owned cars in the uh, various series, including uh, NASCAR and drag racing, ocean boat racing, sports car racing, rally racing. Uh, They've been all over. And with uh, headquarters in, in Charlotte, uh, they are known particularly for the production of GT40s. But what's really unique there is that they're using what remains of the original chassis. And they are making these GT40s uh, truly, they're not reproductions, but rather they are newly built original race cars. So excited for you to hear about uh, everything that they're doing, have done, and some really cool anecdotes coming from Lee. Don't go anywhere, though. This episode's trivia question is ready for the green flag to drop. We'll be gone for just about 60 seconds. Right now, we would like to proudly mention our official OEM sponsor, Porsche Mechanicsburg. In the market for a Macan, Cayenne, 718, or 911, Porsche Mechanicsburg will match you with the perfect vehicle from their extensive inventory of pre-owned and new models. When it comes to service on these magnificent machines, their record of quality workmanship is unmatched with a staff of mechanics whose prowess in all facets of Porsche engineering is world-class. 
These are all time-tested trademarks that have been part of the Faulkner Auto Group since 1932. 2021 will witness an expansion of their sales and service excellence with the now-completed new state-of-the-art Porsche Center. Located at 6625 Carlisle Pike, Porsche Mechanicsburg is the destination when ready to make that dream a reality. Parked in your driveway. Okay, it's time for this week's trivia challenge. The trivia question for this episode is a multiple choice. Here we go. In what year was Holman Moody inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America? Was it A, 1989, B, 2005, C, 2011, or D, 2017? That answer awaits at the end of this episode. It's now time to get on the studio phone lines and head to Carolina to speak with Lee Holman. Hello, Tubers. This is Darren, and tonight I am proud to have Lee Holman on the phone. Lee, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It is an honor to have you on the Cars of Carlisle podcast. Lee, as you many, many would, would know, is of Holman Moody or Holman and Moody fame. In fact, uh, Holman Moody has been putting out amazing uh, everything, parts and, and uh, all that they do for uh, for Ford products since 1957. And, and Lee has agreed to come on. He's actually on vacation and uh, joining me by phone tonight. I really appreciate that. And Lee, I, I'd like to always just um, get to understand kind of how my each guest got into cars when they knew something clicked that they know that their chromosomes and their DNA had racing fuel and oil pumping through it. When did you know that you were a car guy? Well, I was kind of forced into it. Oh, okay. My father was working for Bill Scott in California on the Mexican road race, um, Lincolns in the 50s, and um, racing Mercury's in the early days of NASCAR on the West Coast. And he was working at Indianapolis. He was on Bill Lukovich's pit crew when Lukovich was tragically killed at Indianapolis. Um, and my father was given an opportunity to come run a Ford race team called the Apollo Engineering on the East Coast that had not been performing well. And they basically couldn't finish a race, let alone win one. And um, they hired my father to, to move east in 1956. And our mother, I was uh, 11 at the time, and our mother... Uh, kept us in school in California, and in the summer of 57, we moved mm. out to North Carolina, and by the time we got here, Dad had pulled all the Ford cars off the track, rebuilt them, um, the way Bill Strott, who was a certified mechanical genius, um, and the way my father wanted them, and they won every race they went to. Oh, my. And, I mean, they just dominated um, to the point that the other manufacturers in late 57 um, talked Ford into withdrawing from racing. They had a moratorium on the factories racing. Um, <laughs> and um, Apollo Engineering was shut down, and they gave each of the drivers, Curtis Turner, Joe Weatherly, Bill Andick, Marvin Pants, Fireball Roberts, Ralph Moody, all of these drivers, and they each had a convertible and a hardtop, and so they gave the drivers their choice of car and a pickup truck and some tools. And Ralph Moody and my father decided to go ahead and buy the other cars and the 
another surplus inventory and came home and then moody. Oh wow. That's a great genesis to the to the legend that is today. When did um, well, it, go ahead? It was it was funny because Ford realized that they'd been diddled and, and talked into something that was not in their best interest. And so by '59, they were already starting to want to go racing again. And of course, Holman and Mini was the place they chose to to crank up their racing effort. Mm. And so they instantly got the Ford money pump develop new products and new cars and, and new race cars and the shop grew rapidly from 15 people to in the payday with the drag program, the NASCAR program and the Lamar program um, we had 600 employees and one customer Ford Motor Company Wow, 600 that, what an exponential growth well I, I yeah. have just been so impressed with just you mentioned a couple of drivers' names, but like Bobby Allison, Ned Jarrett, um, David Pearson, AJ Foyt, uh, Junior Johnson, uh, Mario Andretti, Bobby Unser. I mean, these, these and Richard Petty. I mean, these are these are names that uh, it's just you have, to have been associated with Holman and Moody. Unbelievable. And and what's so funny is like in the case of Petty. We delivered, when he, when he suddenly got a Ford deal, we wouldn't give him a Talladega to race uh, at Riverside and, and fill the race. We took one of David Pearson's car because our opinion of Richard Petty's um, mechanics and their crew chief were not that high. So we delivered a David Pearson Talladega painted Petty blue to Riverside, and that was the only major race that Richard won. In a, in a Ford car. One of the little dirt track races in them, dirt as he's want to, but um, the Riverside race was, was the, the, the star on the on the cake, and uh, that was the David Pearson car painted blue. Wow. That's a really cool backdrop. I Was it, um, didn't David Pearson win um, the NASCAR championship in two years, back-to-back, 68 and 69? We, we always cherry-picked. Uh, my okay. dad didn't really want to go run 50 or 60 races a year, and so we would just go to the major speedways, and we would provide, and, and this was the major point of, of argument between my father and Ralph Moody. My father insisted that we sell every one of our competitors exactly what we raced. There were no special engines, there were no special parts, and Ralph Moody anything we develop we should keep to ourselves and my father thought we were doing a job for Ford Motor Company and the racing was just part of that job that was best if, if every Ford or the other cars had a chance to win which made NASCAR it changed NASCAR or Holman and Moody there typically was one car 10 laps in the lead because its wheel didn't break or the hub didn't fall off or you know something mm-hmm. um and when we started making all the race wheels and all the suspension and all the hubs and bearings and the mechanical parts for all of the NASCAR cars and selling what we raced, suddenly they could have 10 or 15 cars on the lead lap going for the checkered flag. And according to um, the president of NASCAR, when Coleman and Rudy was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame, um, that's what allowed NASCAR to be televised, and that's why NASCAR is still around today, because 
Um, nobody's going to watch TV to see Stevie Thompson be 10 laps in the lead. That's true. Yeah, you people want to see competition. Well, that's... Yeah. I had no idea that that's how that came to be. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Um, the, when, when we were talking about the Lamont program, Leo Beebe had a famous quote. Our competition was Carol Shelby, but Shelby was owned by Ford. But Leo Beebe said, the reason I want Holman and Moody involved is, is the Shelby team is a race team. Holman and Moody is a stack. They can build an infinite number of cars, just, you know, cut, turn the switch on and we can build them. We can make the headers, we can make the engines, we can make the transactions. And Beebe um, wanted us part of the Lamont program because we were a factory of racing. We weren't a race team. We were a Right. No, that makes sense. That close association. Well, it's. I know there's some famous pictures of you standing next to uh, Henry Ford II. Are there any? Uh, I know when we had talked a few weeks back, uh, you had talked to me about some things. And um, but any any particular stories from your time at, at that uh, just very uh, historical chapter in Le Mans racing? Well, it, it was funny because. Our drivers were paid to win the race, providing they wouldn't pass a Shelby car unless the Ferrari passed the Shelby car. So we were racing under team orders, which again, my father said, that's fine. We're doing a job for Ford Motor Company. Um, whatever they want us to do, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. And so we had our third place car, Dick Hutchison, and Ronnie Buckton in a gold uh, Mark II, and they were told to back off. The, the Ferraris had fallen out. You have to understand that the, the Mark II, um, after we got involved with it, um, we changed the dynamic of the car and um, started using a high-torque 427 engine that produced a massive amount of torque at 2,500, 3,000, but ran completely out of steam at 6,200, 6,300. So all of the GT40s were running this, this kind of a marine cam it gave massive torque so that we could run a real tall gear. And so in a Mark II GT40, we were turning a maximum of 6,400 RPM, which equated to 220 miles an hour. Mm. The 427, just turning 6,400 is just kind of, it's cruising, it's not struggling. <laughs> and so um, the Ferraris were only able to do about 180, 190 at the time, and the Fords could do 220, and they weren't even trying hard. <laughs> and so, um, we just, it was a steamroller thing. It was it was just cubic inches against uh, a little V12 Ferrari screaming its guts out, uh -huh. and um, the Ferrari had a hard time uh, lasting. But at the same time, we were winning races at Daytona with the 427, it's basically the same engine, but at Daytona, we were turning them 7,500, and at that kind of RPM range with a lower torque camshaft, the valve train would let go, and hopefully it would, the valve train would break at 510 miles, not 490 miles, mm -hmm. 500 mile race. Mm -hmm. But that was the weak link on the 427, and on the, on the GT40s, we just didn't need that much horsepower. We, we detuned them and, and backed them off, um, we recently built a little 64 Fairlane for a customer in Germany, and we did the same 
engine, sustained nine or ten and a half to one compression ratio, a high torque marine cam, turned it 6400. And there's videos of it on the Nurburgring, wing, the Fairlane 500 on the Nugensteiner. Um, and on the 13 mile circuit, our little front Fairlane, racing against Porsche 930 turbos, Cobras, and GT40 Mark 1s uh, in, a, in a two hour race, our Fairlane lapped the field in two hours. Wow. 13 miles ahead of second place. And the FIA accused us of cheating, having nitrous oxide or, or a stroker motor or some big deal. But with a 427, if you, if you pay attention to the torque and get it, the valve train to where it will live, be it there at the end of the race, the, the 427 is an impressive bit of torque you can play with. Mm -hmm. uh, but so many people get kinky about running your engine on a dyno and what's the maximum horsepower you can get and for horsepower you need to have RPM and it's not the RPM and the torque or the RPM and the horsepower that wins the race, it's the torque mm -hmm. coming off the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. And especially in any kind of track uh, has elevation when you're pulling hard up a, up a, a climb, you can, you can just really pull away from anyone that way. And because I wanted a Mark II, and my dad basically gave all of his away, um, sold nine of them for 10 grand a piece to get rid of them. They, he said they were in his wig in a few hundred thousand square foot warehouse. Um, so when I took over the business, there were none there, and I built my own exactly as the original. And at Elkhart Lake, I came around the last corner following 11 Mustangs, Camaros, Corvettes, and Jaguars on that hill going up uh, to the flag stand. And I decided for once really to put my foot in it and see what the car would do. And I passed all 11 cars in one straightaway. Whoa. That is in totally impressive. It's, it's, it's a very impressive car. And, and the beauty of it was because, because you were using a four-speed and nasty torque, you don't have to grind gears and shift gears and do that. You can leave it in third or go to fourth or whatever you want to do. Sure. And, and just, just steamroll the competition. It's just, it's wow. just a wonderful car. Wow. That is really, I'm glad. That's so cool you shared that. 11 cars in a straight. That is, that's unheard of. <laughs> well, it's scared me because I'm, I'm not a race driver. I'm a driver. I'm a, I'm a race car builder. Right. And, um, but I built that car. It was nothing on it that was made um, during my father's year. It was all new, new wheels, new engine, new body, new chassis, everything. But it's original. It was all the same design. We still make them today. We're doing one right now for a, for a lovely customer in Peru. Um, and um, it was with some pleasure that I was able to take my car and race it at Watkins Glen and Elkhart Lake and Daytona and um, uh, just see what the car felt like on the banking and stuff. And frankly, those cars are so controllable and so set up that when you put on the banking, you can fall asleep. There's no drama. There's no mm. intrigue. With a Cobra or, or a Mustang, you're, you're kind of, if I can survive one more corner, just one more corner, <laughs> that would be wonderful. And the GT40 is like, oh, a corner. And you just turn the wheel or you, or you crank the throttle and you, you, you steer it through on, on uh, 
their wheelspin. I mean, oh, wow. it handles so predictably and so securely that you just um, forget that you're running 170, 180 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is the uh, I wanted to just to rewind for a moment. Is the atmosphere and the the pageantry and just the the electricity and energy and all that of um, Le Mans, especially in the mid '60s, is it or what is and was it as uh, as special as it's claimed? It it was such a special trip. It was such an exciting time because we were there to, to please Henry Ford. And um, we got involved in the Mark II project just in, in 65, late 65, after the 54 period and 65 period with the big block cards had been kind of a disaster. Um, and Leo Gibi asked us to please come, come help the effort. Um, and so we were there with, with three cars, and Shelby was there with three cars, Alan Mann was there with, with two cars, and we had the best drivers. Uh, the whole team, Bruce McLaren, uh, Chris Amon, Ken Miles, of course, Lloyd Ruby. People forget with the Ford versus Ferrari movie that every time you saw Ken Miles win a race, Lloyd Ruby was his co-driver. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't bring up Lloyd Ruby. We had Walt Hanson. Um, Walt talked my father into giving a, a new young kid a, a chance to ride in one of them. So my dad hired a kid named Mark Donahue. Oh yeah. Uh, and so Mark was driving for us. Tragically, Walt Hanson was killed testing before Lamar um, in in one of the Shelby cars. Uh, I mean, Alan Mann had great and uh, Jackie Stewart in the racing and um, Sir John Whitmore. Uh, we had Ronnie Buckham, A.J. Floyd, um, Mark, um, Mary Andretti. Uh, I mean, the talent, the, the drivers that we had were, you know, future world champions. Mm -hmm. And they went on to prove it. Yeah, that's, that is so very, very impressive. Well, um... Holman and Moody's and, and Holman Automotive are based out of Charlotte. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the the stock car side of things, and, and you, you know, touching upon with NASCAR and earlier about how it made it much more competitive, and then it became televised. Any other stories or uh, kind of behind the scenes elements that you'd like to share, particularly about uh, Holman and Moody's involvement with NASCAR? Well, the NASCAR thing was always. Um, a, a bit troublesome because NASCAR wanted the quality. They wanted all the cars to be there on the same lap, but they didn't want the same car winning all the mm. time. Mm -hmm. And so um, the way Richard Petty won so many championships, he had he went to a lot of races nobody else went to. And because of that, NASCAR started encouraging Holman Moody and the Woods Brothers and uh, Ned Jarrett and Pendles. Junior Johnson and a lot of the other other teams um, coming up with point systems and, and incentive programs that would require you to, to go to all the races, uh, or or you would be um, not chastised, but you would have a harder time getting the car through scrutiny and through their their inspection stuff. And mm. 
location might not be sustainable. I've never really thought that NASCAR fixed who was going to win a race, but they can sure fix who was going to lose a race. Mm, okay. So if, if you were not um, uh, doing what NASCAR thought was the best for NASCAR, then your car might not get through scrutiny. It might have issues here and there. Um, and they did that as a way to keep the field homogenized and competitive. Um, competitors might have seen it, you know, in a different way. Um, but uh, as far as we were concerned, my father insisted that, one, we don't cheat. We play by the rules and the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. And two, um, we should win because we had better driving talent and our cars should be better prepared. You would very rarely see a home and movie team car fall out of a race because something broke or fell off. Right. Because our cars were thoroughly inspected and thoroughly done. And, and frankly, a lot of the other teams couldn't afford to have 20 guys go through the car between races. We could. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. But my father also thought that more forwards on the track meant that more people softboards being competitive. So when we were through running a car, typically we would build, I've got a 63 Galaxy that was driven by Fireball Robertson, Junior Johnson, and Fred Lorenzen at different times. Typically we'd build 30 of them. And sometimes more than that, sometimes a little less, but there was usually 30 or 40 in a, in a loop. And each team would get three or four. And if they wrecked one, if they really took a shot with one, then that car would be dropped off by the team at the back of the fabrication shop. And it'd be cut apart and, and made new. They would go, their truck would then go to the front of the building and pick up one that had either just been built or had been rebuilt. But they wouldn't necessarily get back a junior dog car if it was a junior Johnson truck picking it up, they would get whatever car was next in line. And so a lot of the cars have multiple team histories, multiple drivers' histories, and there was no real record of serial numbers kept other than we would sell the team the car at the beginning of the year for a dollar, and we retained the right to buy it back at the end of the year for a dollar. But the cars were not entered in the races by serial number or any sort of documentation. It was just the home and moody number 28 or the home and moody number 17. Um, and so a lot of these people writing books about the definitive history of this car and that car, that is all a figment of their imagination. <laughs> um, and um, in most cases, they're just trying to make whatever car they own um, the big winner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those records really don't exist. Gotcha. That makes sense. <clears throat> well, would you like to talk a little bit about uh, home and I mean, just really home and automotive and everything from um, you know the, the the modern HM Mustangs and the Trans M T A four and the and the GT I mean. Just what what your business is doing. What you mentioned about the the Peruvian customer, but what are some things that are exciting that are happening at the shop right now? Well, we've never been as busy, and we've got some talented people working for us. We've had problems hiring people that 
were real racers, and now we've got got a few, and it's, it's very pleasant. But um, some years ago, Ethel Ford was doing a photo shoot um, with my GT40s as a fast bra, um, and while he was there, he asked if he could stay and talk to me for a while because we hadn't really sat down in years, and he said, if I stir up a Mustang project for you, will you cooperate? And so we did a limited edition 2014 Omni Moody PDF Mustang, and it was um, noteworthy in that it cost less than a Laguna Seca or a Shelby or a Roush. It outruns them on a racetrack, but mm. if there's any corners, because um, our car gets 1.18 Gs in a corner where a Laguna Seca does get a nine. Uh, Shelby's lucky to do even that. Mm. Um, and we sold 27 of them, which I thought was remarkable because we had no marketing plan, no money to fund the project, and didn't really know we were going to do it. It wasn't our idea until Ethel Ford suggested that we, we do a Mustang. And they're now asking us to do some other project cars for Ford. We'll probably be doing uh, some new Holman and Moody Broncos. Um, people forget that the Broncos that ran in the Baja were Holman and Moody Strzok Broncos. My father had Kurt had brought Phil Strzok out, and so it's Holman and Moody Strzok during the Bronco era. Strzok ran the F-150 truck after we parted ways with him, but the Broncos were all Holman and Moody Strzok products. Oh, wow. Um, and we've got some other projects going. We're building a, a special CBF Tour de France um, Mustang replica for Marcy Cipriani. It's taking too long, but we're doing it. Um, and we just got all sorts of other little projects going. We're Ford performance dealers, we're Roush performance dealers, and we're Holman and Moody dealers. And there's no one else on the planet that can say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got all three of the Ford performance houses in, in one, one shop. Um, the other thing is the company was so famous that we still produce the t-shirts, decals, jackets, hats, um, intake manifolds, valve covers. Um, so many of the parts that Holman and Moody made famous, we're still producing them, although right now we're having trouble getting delivery on um, stuff made in California. I think. And we would really appreciate it if the fans, if they want to buy a Holman and Moody product, go to our website, holmanandmoody.com, and buy it from Holman and Moody. There's so many fake decals and fake mm -hmm. t-shirts and fake mm -hmm. banners and stuff. And if you appreciate what we did, then you show it by buying the real things from Holman and Moody. Now, we're, we're going to be at Carlisle um, with our camp and, and our trailer, and we'll, we'll be selling our Holman and Moody products. Now, I hope to have the, the small block and big block all covers by then. I've got some single four SE manifolds because of the HM logo on them. We had another um, little stroke of luck. We recently partnered with a good friend of mine, uh, Mark Ray, and we purchased a private collection of die-cast models that include all the NASCAR models, the Dodge Link cars and David Pearson and Fred Lorenzen and Ned Jarrett. Um, Icon Racing or the, the University of Racing uh, ICAST model, some of which have been out of circulation for a year or more, but there were also a few thousand um, 
die-cast models from Franklin Mint and Danbury Mint and uh, Corvette and Grumpy Jenkins drag cars and uh, airplanes. And so we ended up, I think, we're the largest toy store on the eastern coast. <laughs> kind of by accident. Um, but at Carlisle, we should have a nice collection of Ford race cars, Game Gurney, Trans Am, Mustang. Um, there's uh, a couple of the George Walmer Mustangs. Um, this fellow that, that passed away had purchased all of these items and never opened the boxes. They're all new. Mm. I mean, like in the David Pearson, he's got, he had four or five signed number 17 home and movie David Pearson cars, and we haven't had one of those in nine or ten months. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of funny. You, you never know what opportunities are going to come up. Um, and um, I try to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. um, and and we're, we're frankly bigger in the vintage racing. Uh, we don't do anything for the modern NASCAR. Um, but so many of the fans remember Holman and Moody and remember Fred Lorenzen and remember David Pearson. And, and they want a Holman and Moody t-shirt or a hat or a, a Fred Lorenzen number 28 diecast model and, and try to stock all that when we can get it. Um, the other thing that's been exciting for me is, is being invited to go display the Holman and Moody cars at Goodwood. Oh, wow. At the Festival of Speed and the, and the Good Work Revival. Mm -hmm. um, we've been blessed and been invited five or six times now, um, including, in, in my own case, I was invited to drive the Lamar winning Mark II that George Stauffer owned at the time in the Festival of Speed at Good Work. Wow, that's an honor. And the, the prestige of that is, is just, you can't compare it to anything else in the world. No, sir. Goodwood is, is, is beyond the pale. And for me to be driving the Lamar winning car up the hill, it was insured for $8 million at the time when it was parked. It had no insurance when I was driving. Hmm. So you felt a little bit uh, tenuous about oh, <laughs> yeah, your foot in it. But it was such an honor to GT40 in 2003 was the featured mark, and I was driving the, the featured car, and blessing Lord March uh, invited my daughters and my wife, and so my my 21 and 19-year-old daughters got to see their father uh, driving the featured car up the hill at Goodwood. Um, and again, I'm a race car builder. I'm not a driver, but mm -hmm. it's such an honor to do that. Oh, wow. That is phenomenal. What amazing memories you've built all over these years, for sure. Oh, oh, it, it is. It, it's like at Le Mans, after the race, the Shelby crew went off to celebrate, and I noticed that the French were cleaning out the pit, stealing all the tools, stealing all the spare parts and stuff, and I found my dad talking to Henry Ford II. I said, Dad, Dad, we've got a problem. We've got to go secure the pit. The French are cleaning them out. And Dad said, well, go get our crew and go go please the, the Roger and Henry Ford said, you called him dad? You called him daddy schools my father. He said, I know, but my children call me Mr. Ford. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
Yep. Not every family is the same. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I always like to give my guests the final time behind the wheel. You get the last lap. And uh, I'll just say, Lee, it's been a true honor to have you spend some time with, uh, with me and with the fans of this podcast. But you get the final say. Whatever you'd like to share, you get, you get to close us out. Well, I hope that they can come see us at Carlisle. I mean, Carlisle is such a pleasure, such a joy to be there. And there's so many Ford enthusiasts, and, and it's just fun to talk to them and see their cars. And it's amazing the cars that come out of the woodwork. Um, a couple of years ago, I was reintroduced to the only long wheelbase drag car that we made, it's a prototype for Casca. A gentleman found it and restored it. And it, I mean, some of the beautiful cars that come to Carlisle, um, it, it makes it fun to be there and fun to meet people and shake their hands and, or fist bump from now with the new mm-hmm. regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's fun to be there and I look forward to being there and I hope to see you there. Absolutely. No, I, that would be amazing. And I, I would look forward to uh, the fist bump and uh, just having you here in the, in the area. Well, Lee, I, you're... Well, I, go ahead. If there's anything I can do to help, I'll be glad to. Well, thank you. I'm sorry, say it again? Anything I can do to help, I'll be glad to. Well, I really very much appreciate that. And I know that uh, the fans that listen all around the globe, um, I'm fortunate to have as uh, part of this podcast, I'm sure they're going to really enjoy or have enjoyed all the stories that you've shared. And uh, you've done great things. Holman and Moody continues to do so. And... And as you said, if anyone has any interest in decals and t-shirts, please go out to HolmanMoody.com and buy the original. Well, have a wonderful rest of your vacation. Well-deserved, well-earned, and look forward to seeing you in Central PA. Okay, thank you for calling. Lee, have a wonderful evening. From Studio A, I'd like to extend a big thank you to Lee Holman for being a friend of the Cars of Carlisle Network and giving of his time to be on the show. Hope to have him back in the not-so-distant future. All right, friends, it is time to bring the Holman Moody GT Mark I into the pit so we can cover this episode's trivia answer. But first, we'll be right back. Do you have a bucket list? Is there an entry on that list that reads something like, drive a supercar on a racetrack? Well, if so, we know how to help. Check out one of our valued corporate sponsors, Extreme Experience. They make supercars accessible to anyone. In fact, Extreme Experience travels to over 30 racetracks around the United States with a fleet of supercars so that anyone can drive the car of their dreams. And that fleet includes Porsches, Lamborghinis, McLarens, Ferraris, and more. Some of those exotic supercars you'll find on the website include the Ford Mustang Shelby GT500, the Corvette C8 C51, the Mercedes AMG GTR, the Porsche 911 GT3 RS, Ferrari 488 GTB, and more. Anyone over the age of 18 with a valid driver's license can drive, and those drives start at $109. There are no limiters or adjustments made to the cars so that you can get the maximum speed possible. In fact, along with your price comes a professional instructor who's sitting in the passenger seat, and they are going to be encouraging you to go faster. I've done it, and it is awesome. If you're not ready to drive or you'd like to take along friends and family for another type of thrill, well, there is a high-speed ride-along available for anyone ages 12 or older. Those start at $69. And for this season, the Charger Hellcat Y-Buddy will be used for the ride-along. So it is your turn to experience the thrill of racing an exotic supercar on a real racetrack with no speed limits 
and no experience necessary. Be sure to visit theextremeexperience.com. That's T-H-E-X-T-R-E-M-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E.com. All right, it's trivia time. As you recall, the multiple choice question was this. In what year was Holman Moody inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America? They were as choices A, 1989, B, 2005, C, 2011, and D, 2017. All right, what's your answer? All right, it is B, 2005. Holman Moody was indeed inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America in 2005. Well, Cubers, we are at the end of this show. We truly enjoy having you hang out with us. You are an integral part of this podcast and the road trip journeys that we take time and time again. Because together, it's all about car community, car culture. For now, I'll sign off with drive well, be well, take care.